Hello and welcome again. This is Empires of the Future. This is me, Denton, and I'm seated here with my co-host, Jackson. Uh, as we come along now, uh, in the this is the first podcast that we've done in 2023. Happy right. New Year, Jackson. Happy New Year. Yeah. How's your New Year been so far? Well, great, since we're on day two. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it was like for you yesterday, but we were a little down in church. I think a lot of people stayed up late, and uh, we were more down uh, yesterday, uh, which was New Year's Day, than we were on Christmas Day, where I was pretty pleased with how uh, everyone turned out. Uh, so we were, yeah. Yeah. A little, little short yesterday, but it's fine. Yeah. We were not. We were up, actually. Good for believe you. Believe it or not. Yeah. I was um, kind of surprised. We actually had several visitors. <laughs> we, had, we had new people there. They Pretty cool. You're great. But, um, it's yeah, that it West Side thing. You're always saying the West Side's the best side. So apparently, in this true. case, you were right. It's true. People said New Year, New Side of Town. I'm going over there to that church. Right. Yeah. And so they they showed up. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm glad you're having a good New Year. Uh, I'm excited about today. Uh, if you guys um, who are listening remember from last week, we began our not last week, our last podcast. We began our, our making our way through uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um, Really good start to the book um, as he just kind of begins to lay out his argument largely, um, not even exclusively for Christianity, uh, but his argument for the the existence of God basically kind of, uh, I think, lays it out in the first book. Is that a good way to that you would summarize the, the first book, book one of Mere Christianity? Yeah, it really seems like he is looking to take uh, someone from a position of no belief uh, to what he would pose as... Uh, sort of the best arguments for uh, the existence of God. Um, it, it is great. They always talk about in apologetics classes that what you're trying to do initially is to kind of just put a doorstop so that the door is sort of propped open. And he is making it uh, reasonable from a, a, a sort of a rational standpoint, like why is believing in God rational? And it is very strange. Um, whatever has happened in the last few hundred years in terms of the secular movement, one of the things they've been pretty successful at is making it seem intellectual to not believe in God. Yeah. And that is strange because uh, in the history of thought, both of these streams have always been represented. Um, but however it's exactly happened uh, a lot of people do feel uh, a little backwards if they're taking a, an intellectual step toward belief in God, which is super strange. Yeah. Uh, because uh, intellectually, if you don't have a grounding and like there's a reason that uh, reason makes sense, uh, it, it, then there is no way forward. And the ultimate grounding for the fact that we can't believe uh, our reason is that God made us and we're made in his image and our reasoning faculty is pointing to something that there is a reality. And so um, that's just one of the things going on there. But the, the first book, that is something that I will say that um, if someone is sort of listening along and not reading along, and this feels like we're kind of in a different place, that's how the different books of mere Christianity do feel. The first task in a lot of ways is just saying, hey, it's rational to believe in God. Mm -hmm. uh, this this book is going to introduce Christian doctrine. Um, and, and so that's sort of the different stage that we're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so we keep using the term books. Uh, we are reading through the book, Mere Christianity, but just to kind of remind you of how it's broken down, he breaks down the, the, the book, Mere Christianity, which was originally given in lecture form uh, over the radio. He breaks it down into different books uh, and within those books down into chapters. And so We'll be making our way now through book two, uh, which is which consists of five chapters. Uh, in in the first chapter of, of book two, 
the, the title of book two is called What Christians Believe. So he's moving now uh, from kind of an argument for the existence of God to, okay, I've, I've hopefully established that it is, that it does make sense. It is logical. It is reasonable to believe in God, um, which he's going to talk more about later. I like what you said. It, it is weird that nowadays it seems unintellectual uh, to, to believe in God. Well, as we're going to f- hear from C.S. Lewis, he would argue the opposite, that, right. uh, that no, it is in fact unintellectual un- un- to deny the existence of God, and, and we're going to get into that later. But as he begins, uh, he starts with chapter one, rival conceptions of God. What is he doing in this chapter? Um, as, as you read it, what, what's your kind of perspective on this chapter? Right, so uh, one thing that well, if you like this, then you're going to like C.S. Lewis. He's going to continue to argue from the general to the specific. And mm-hmm. so what he's going to say here is, okay, if we're going to believe in God, what kind of God are we talking about? Which is a very logical step to take. And he says, uh, one, the majority of the people groups in the world believe in God, and the minority is the materialistic Western culture that we live in. Uh, this reminds me again of... Uh, I like to bring things to uh, another author just to show that these conceptions are reasonable to arrive at. And one of the things that uh, Jonathan Haidt says in uh, his Moral Foundations theories, he says, you should feel strange if you are of the type who live in the modern Western materialistic society who say things like, well, if it's not hurting anybody else, why can't I do it? Mm. Well, that assumes a morality that is very new, like last 50, 75 years on the world scene, and a morality that discounts things like loyalty, things like disgust uh, and purity, which are fundamental elements of morality of every other culture except for one, and that is modern Western individualistic society. They are, uh, we have abstracted a lot of what we in our, like if you're watching the news, a lot of what uh, will be discussed are two moral foundations, which is, Care harm uh, was like, well, this is, we should care about these things. Uh, And then the one I just mentioned. And so like others like loyalty are just left out entirely as not counting when there is no place in the world that a traitor is looked at as a positive thing. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, um, for our purposes, we seem to have left those out. And so then he says that we are in a unique position in uh, assuming that maybe like the next level would be not believing in God. But then his, his statement is, okay, but the God group is divided into two main subgroups. Uh, one is the group who believe God is above good and evil and that everything is good in some way and evil in some way. So this is pantheists mm-hmm. who believe that God's sort of in everything. Uh, probably one of the um, closer to us, at least in terms of something we've kind of encountered, is the force. Well, the force <laughs> is yeah. kind of this... this this squishy thing that's sort of out there and, you know, you got to be careful because it's not exactly really clear what good and evil is when you're using the force. Um, in this view, everything in the universe is God and God is in everything that, that this is all just sort of mixed in together. And you see this, I see this all over the place. In fact, here at the, this beginning of the new year, I see posts on Facebook from people who I, um, I have known, you know, a long time. Well, you know, the universe has my back and, and, it's, it's handy to talk about the universe because the universe can be for you when you want it to be, but then the universe de- demands nothing of you. Right. Um, and so that's one view. 
Yeah. Yeah, he, he really does. He kind of pins pantheism against uh, uh, biblical the, the biblical understanding of God. Right. Uh, like you said, you talked about the force, this uh, battle between good and evil, and what is it that uh, that Anakin was supposed to do, the chosen one? He's supposed to be right. bal- balanced right. to the force, right? Um, this idea of a balance between good and bad, both right. necessary for things to be you know, orderly or whatever. It's a very kind of yin-yang perspective. Yep. Um, which tied is, to Eastern thought. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Very very tied to Eastern thought, this uh, pantheistic perspective. He even says, uh, I like the way he says it. He was like, this is true of, of uh, you know, certain religions. Uh, he says, as far as I can understand uh, Hinduism, it's it's true of, of them, which I thought was kind of funny because, um, man, I don't think, I don't think <laughs> if Hindu- he's not understanding Hinduism, I don't believe I have much. Yeah, hope. I don't think I have a chance. And that's but true. the problem with a lot of Eastern thought is, you know, like Denton, our lives are as a leaf flowing down the river, ever in change, but never truly changing. And it's kind of like, what? What exactly does that mean? And that's a, a part of what Eastern thought does. Yeah. And and you can see again, Star Wars being tied to Eastern thought. You know, you're talking about, well, Anakin was supposed to bring balance to the Force, and maybe he did. Who's to say? Now, this is, and frankly, one of the things that I like better about Christianity is that there is none of this. And people who think there is should read the Bible more. No, it's pretty clear what the difference between good and evil is Mm -hmm. in the Scriptures. And, I mean, ultimately, like, what are we doing? Well, look, to be good is to follow your purpose. To be evil is to turn yourself back in towards yourself and to say, no, I want to do this for me. I'm in it for me. I'm going to do me. Um, Because here's the reason why. He says, number two, there are groups who believe God is completely good and completely not evil. Christians, Muslims, and Jews fall in here, traditional monotheists. In this view, nothing in the universe is God, but God made the universe like a man paints a painting. So God is separate from the universe, completely good. That is that is Christianity, right? That's the biblical perspective. If you need to be, if you need to be told, or you need some clarification, that is the biblical understanding of God that uh, that He is outside of creation. He is above it. He is transcendent. He is the one who created it and is not in any way dependent on it. Yet the the pantheist sort of says like all, all things are God, right? <laughs> or, or God is in all things. I think the example he used in the book was uh, in the same way. Um, you animate your body, right. God animates all things, so that if all things don't exist, then, then God then doesn't exist, right? Right, uh, and so anyone who hears things like, well, maybe God is in this rock, and God is in the tree. Well, if you watch Pocahontas, the, yeah. the Disney movie, that is that is pantheistic uh, I, kinds of ideas, and, and, and that is not Christian. It is, right. it is pagan. I mean, right. it is pagan. It is sub-Christian. Right, that's exactly right. So, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of... The, what he presses into, and I think in a very helpful way, and he makes uh, uh, he makes the point in the book. Um, he actually says uh, says something I thought was I don't know, kind of caught my attention, and he in the footnotes he said this caught other people's attention, but I I mean it seriously. Um, let's see here. He says uh, you must believe that God is separate from the world, and that some of the things we see in it are contrary to His will. Confronted with a cancer or a slum, the pantheist can say. If you could only see it from the divine point of view, you would realize that this is also God. The Christian replies, don't talk damned nonsense. Yeah. And, and in here, he has a little asterisk to send you to the, to the footnote. Um, he doesn't have many footnotes in this book. So yeah. when, when you see one, you ought to read it. He says, one listener complained of the word damned as frivolous swearing, but I mean exactly what I say. Yeah. 
nonsense that is damned is under God's curse yep. and will, apart from from God's grace, lead those who believe it to eternal death. Yeah. And so I was like, man, get him. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that was so good, uh, the way he says that so clearly. But yeah, the, the pantheists can literally say things like that. Well, you know, what what is cancer? But, uh, you know... You know, just another another form of life, and 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 God is even in the cancer. Right. You might see it as evil, right. evil, evil, but from another perspective, uh, a higher perspective, if you will, you would see that no, it is it is no more evil or good than um, whatever else. And it's like no, false. It is evil. Right. It is evil. It is a it is a product of the fall. It is a product of sin. It is it is now. Now, when I say it's evil. I don't mean to say like cancer is the devil, right? That's not my intention to say that. Or but cancer it is, is natural sin. evil. It is a form of natural evil. That's exactly right. There is nothing good right. in cancer itself. Right. Now that doesn't mean to say that good can't come of, that's right. of cancer. That God can't take, which we'll talk more about this, I think. But God can't take that evil thing and use it for His good purposes. Absolutely, He can and does every single evil thing that exists. But, um, but it is wrong absolutely wrong to, to deny that evil exists it right. does right and it's um it's almost like this eastern thought is sort of like a fog that you find yourself in that where you you look around and you go well there's probably things here but i can't tell what they are but the christianity feels more like a lightning strike to where you know exactly what something is and what you should do about it so for instance uh, the gospel declares this if you see those who are in need do what you can to give to them I mean, in Matthew 25, this striking thing where Jesus says, let me tell you about the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick and in prison. What did you do for them? Well, I, I, I didn't really do anything for them, I guess. Well, then you didn't do anything for me. Yeah. But let me tell you about those who did do something for them. They, they did for me when they cared for the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick and the in prison because that's what my kingdom is about. Those who are powerless are cared for because they ought to be cared for. Uh, no more of this fog. It, it is a lifting of the fog. Yeah. And that is exactly what, what God wants for us. This is exactly what a parent does for a child. It says, you know, son, I know that that bead looks like food, but it's not food. Mm-hmm. So don't eat it. Yeah. I'm not going to let you eat it. I'm, even if you fight me, don't, I'm not going to let you have it. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful because that's what we need. We, we're all confused and muddled and walking around can, just messed up. And we need somebody to say, this is good and that's evil and, and I want you to learn it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so the, this is, and this goes all the way down. I mean, if anyone is not familiar with Eastern thought, it's, it seems at first like beautiful. It, it poses even, and you know, look, yeah. Jesus spoke in parables and probably parables would be about as close to sort of Eastern thought uh, as what uh, you get with Jesus. But he's using parables to point to the truth, not to muddle and, yeah. and, and yeah. fuzzy up the truth. Um, because in, in, in Eastern thought, uh, a lot of what you run into is sort of, well, the problem is, this, this is the Eastern perspective on humanity. Well, the problem is you want too much. So if you stop wanting, then you'll be in great shape. And literally Buddhist monks have been able to get themselves to the point where they stop eating, they stop caring, they stop thinking. And they sit, and they are, their mind is empty for hours on end. And that's un- it, it's so wild to hear that in the West because it's the polar opposite of most of what we do. Yeah. But it is a different mode that if we don't understand what's happening, we are vulnerable to because that's how Eastern thought gets us. It sounds intriguing, mm-hmm. 
But that is, again, that is not what the Scripture tells us. Yeah. The Scripture tells us you are made for truth and goodness and beauty, and you ought to have it infinitely, and by God's grace you will. Yeah. And that's wonderful to think about. And in the meantime, we ought to every day say, God, give me all the truth and goodness and beauty I can handle for today, and I'll trust you in that. Because I probably can't handle every truth and every goodness and every beauty, but I'll handle whatever you give me today. That's yeah. what we want. That's what our souls long for, and we ought to have it. Yep. Yeah, things become very muddy very quick when you begin to say, no, God is to be found in both the good and the bad. Yep. Partially, it doesn't even make sense because by right. saying right. Uh, saying something as bad, what are you doing but comparing right. it right. to to what is good? And, uh, you know, that's the point he's going to kind of make in the next chapter. Um, but, yeah, so so he moves on then from, from a, once he's established, okay, here is the perspective I'm talking about, not a pantheistic perspective, uh, certainly not a perspective of, of atheism, though he, he addresses it quite a bit, uh, but from a biblical perspective of a God who is good, yep. who is on the side of good, but who is above and outside of all things. Yep. Uh, and, and therefore, what that means is that if we are to seek God, our creator, uh, if we are to seek what is good, it is to be found in him mm-hmm. and him exclusively. So then he moves on in chapter two to begin to talk. To oh, wait, before you leave chapter oh. one, one of my favorite things, uh, because he addresses the heart here mm-hmm. and, um, and all of us, it's interesting because he wrote this book, you know, in, in the forties and, um, and so some of the things, there's going to be points that he makes that were specifically addressing things that were said in that time. It is very forward thinking. A lot of the stuff that he points to will still be around. Sometimes the phrases strike more than others, but you will hear people say today, well, well there's no real meaning to the universe you make. You make of it what you can. Uh, you, we have to invent meaning and these sorts of things. And you'll hear this top to bottom all over the place. Um, and, and I think the question he asks is, okay, but does your heart believe that? Is your heart okay with that? Uh, the way he states it is, if the universe is so meaningless, why do you react so strongly against hmm. it? Yeah. You know, do you watch, I, I watched uh, just the other night, we watched uh, an episode of uh, what's called the FBI Files, and it's just stories about um, things that have happened that the FBI dealt with, and I never knew this. I mean, I'm, you think about these things, this was a story from like 1993, and a, uh, a young girl was killed and left on the side of the road in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, and it took them months to track down the killer, but they did track him down. And the whole, sh- it was, it was right near a small town. They were just shocked that a 17 year old girl would be killed and then just thrown uh, like trash on the side of the road. And, um, and they, they caught that guy and they never were able to prove it, but they found also that there was a string uh, of these same kinds of murders that had been happening in Ohio and they were never able to find who had done all those, but all of those stopped when they did catch this one guy mm. And you think about what would it take for somebody to do something like this over and over and over month after month or however often this was happening. Does, does your heart really say to you, well, what could, who's to know what really is good and really mm. is evil? Mm, yeah. Isn't there something about you that says, no, that's, that's an awful world to live in. And I don't want that world to exist, but it is the world that I live in right now. Doesn't yeah. that make you long for a better world? Don't you react really strongly against the fact that look, that's, that was somebody's daughter. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was somebody's friend. And her life was ended mm-hmm. in a horrible way yeah. to be raped and then killed. Yeah. It, it, always, it always haunts me to think about what her last minutes and hours were like. You know, and when I hear these stories, well, it should because there is real good and there's real evil. And our hearts believe that. Our hearts yeah. really believe that. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly the point he's making. Like, who, who 
in their right mind doesn't hear that, what happened to that girl, and say, that is so evil. And we, and we, we um, are repulsed by that, and we want to pull away from that and, and say we hate that. But take the logic that you know, we just read by him you know, the, about the cancer. You know, you can say from a certain perspective and in a pantheistic worldview, well, you know, cancer in and of itself really, you know, if you look at it a certain way isn't evil, it just mm-hmm. is, right? You know, it's, uh, you know, a part of the world we live in and even God is in the cancer. Okay, now take that and instead of cancer, replace it with uh, rape and murder. Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, absolutely not. That is evil from no perspective. Right. Uh, can you claim that, that God is uh, somehow for this in any way, shape, or form, because God is good, right. and he is opposed to what is evil. And that's exactly right. You respond to it the way you do. All people do. We all respond to this kind of evil the way we do because we know it is evil right? instinctively. Right. It's as simple as that, and yet uh, that in and of itself is not all that simple the more you think about it. Right. And so then to refer back to what you mentioned earlier, um, okay, but what do, you, what do you mean that God can work good? Well, the classic text on that is, uh, what is it, Genesis 50, where we have Joseph, who, mm. who though he is thrown in, in a well left for dead by his brothers, uh, God orchestrates that he would be pulled out, and though he would still struggle, he would be enslaved, he would suffer in jail, but ultimately Joseph saved thousands of people in Egypt, including later his brothers, yeah. And his classic line is, you know, what you, your, his brothers, when they meet him again, they are sorely afraid of him, and they should be. But he says, don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's right. That God is in our world doing doing work behind the scenes that we don't know. Okay, but should we let evil go then? No. He tells us, you address all the evil that you can with your wisdom and in your strength on a day-to-day basis, but know that you work underneath my strength. Yeah. That I'm working in all kinds of ways, but you don't have to be confused about, well, maybe that thing, maybe, you know, somebody being left on the side of the road, maybe that's actually good. No, 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 no. no. Act in your wisdom. He's yeah. not making a world to where it's like, maybe blue is red. No, no, no. Yeah. Blue is blue. It's, it all is what you think it is, and you should be doing good as you can. Just know that he also is doing good. Yeah. And that he will work in any number of ways so that his purposes go forward. Um, we really do fight evil day mm-hmm. by day. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. So we want to tell the truth and do the good things that we can and bring about all the beauty that we can because that's what our world needs. Mm-hmm. These things are like lightning strikes around us every day. And everyone that you do is another salvo in, in the good fight. And this is the good fight that we ought to be engaged in. Yeah, that's right. The, the problem of evil has been something that the, the Christian church has been answering for, uh, I mean, generations, yeah. right? Uh, and it's an it's been an, uh, an argument used against God, but yep. against the uh, the belief in God. And it was one that C.S. Lewis himself held to for sure. for a time, saying that well, when I look around, I see all the evil in the world. Therefore, yeah. um, the the God of the Bible, at least, who's supposed to be good, uh, does doesn't exist, or at least if he does exist, he's not all powerful, as the Bible says. And um, just yesterday in my sermon, I was uh, as I was preaching, I I brought up this point, uh, and it's made by Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God. Um, I think he, he treats the, the problem of evil really well in an accessible way in that book. Uh, but in the book, he, he references a, uh, a philosopher, and uh, I'm going to forget his name now. Uh, but this philosopher is from back in the, the 1980s. He, he wrote on this, this issue of the problem of evil. Uh, and he made the point that uh, because we can look around the world and see so much pointless evil, then the God of the Bible, God who is, who is good and powerful, can't exist. Uh, there, there may be another God that exists or no God, but a good God, uh, as the Bible lays out, can't exist because there's so much evil 
and and it's it's pointless evil he calls it. Well, the the problem with his argument is that there he is assuming that because he can't see a point to the evil, right. there is no point to right. it. Right. Uh, and and the, what you just referenced, what uh, what Joseph said to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but the Lord meant it for good. Uh, we we read that or or something like in Romans eight where he says. Um, all things work together for the good of those who love him right. and are called according to his purpose. Right. Um, we, we know that all things that happen in this world, good, bad, evil, um, all of these things, they're not pointless. Right. They are not pointless, uh, but rather God has a purpose in all of it. Uh, and that's good news for us as Christians. Uh, and, and, and so really the reality comes around, and, and he, he even admits like that was a, a foolish way to think for even in claiming that there's evil around us. Um, in that claim, we are again referring to a standard. And yep. where did that standard come from? If not from a good, upright God who right. endowed us with that moral understanding. So, okay, now take us to chapter two. Okay, chapter two. Whoa, man, we're we've got five chapters to get through today. We're going to be at it for a while, aren't we, Jackson? Uh, we'll we'll just see how far we get. Uh, so, chapter two, he calls the invasion. Um, the uh, one of the first things he says in this chapter. Is he basically is is making the point like, hey, I'm just gonna let you know, um, to understand Christianity uh, is to understand that it is not a simple religion. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the some of the problems people have when they are trying to understand Christianity or or, or this religion or that religion really, uh, is they say, well, it's just too complicated. Well, yeah, it it is kind of complicated. Uh, but guess what? We live in a world where things are kind of complicated when yeah. you begin desi- to desire to understand them. And he, he says something I think was pretty cool. He was talking about uh, atheism is just too simple. It's too simple of a philosophy. Uh, and he includes along with atheism as a simple philosophy uh, what he calls Christian- Christianity and water. Yeah. Uh, the view which says that there is a good God in heaven and everything um, is everything is all right. Leave it, but they leave out uh, the difficult, terrible doctrines about sin, hell, and the devil, and redemption. Um, he says both of these, that being atheism and this sort of Christianity and water, both of these are boys' philosophies, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of a little nice little dig. He's like, yeah, th- this, these are philosophies of children. If you seek something this simple and are are embracing something this simple christianity is not this simple um and certainly we see around us this christianity and water that says oh there is a good god in heaven and everything's all right and then they don't preach anything on on the wrath of god that is upon unbelief upon they don't teach about hell uh don't teach about the devil redemption any of these things and so it's what he is essentially claiming here is hey this sort of oversimplified um all uh, rainbows and and unicorns kind of Christianity is just as foolish, just as much of a boy's philosophy, a child's philosophy, as is atheism. Mm-hmm. That's not what Christianity is. Right. It's more than that. So he he goes on to to speak about Christianity being um, being worth attempting to understand, even though it is difficult. Uh, he talks about uh, uh, a dualism in this chapter. Um, what is dualism? So, and this was um, sort of more common. Now, he, he was always familiar with uh, sort of academic uh, life. And dualism in the history of the world has been a, a very uh, attractive uh, 
way of viewing the world. For instance, uh, Augustine was a dualist before he became a Christian. Uh, he was a Manichae, and the Manichaeans, among many other groups, you know, look, in a lot of ways, um, uh, Eastern uh, philosophies also, I mean, yin and yang is an idea of dualism. Well, there's good and evil, and they're sort of always at war, and it's a perpetual war. It's forever, and uh, who knows who might win. It just keeps on happening. Um, and, and we hear these sorts of ideas, and I, I remember the first time I read this book, I really appreciated very much when he said, look, the world that Christianity presents is nearer to dualism than we would like to admit because uh, watered-down Christianity or Christianity in water likes to talk like, hey, look, God's overcome this world. What's to be worried about? And it's like, okay, but tell that to the guy whose daughter was married, uh, married murdered last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- we don't do that, thankfully, because... There is real evil, and I mean like evil that is uh, morally detestable, evil that is disgusting, evil that is perverse, and that is not the kind of evil that you look at and go, oh, I'm sure there's a great explanation for that. There's evil that uh, makes you sick, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 that's, it sh- and it should. And it should, yes, and, and that um, everyone should ask questions like, oh, God, everything is so broken. I can believe there is a deep explanation for this, but it is not apparent on the surface. Yeah. Uh, the, the levels of evil that we see, uh, it, it's, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, um, I mean, this is why, this is why uh, a lot of police officers have real struggles. You can't see people treating each other horribly day after day after day after day and have um, a necessarily sunny disposition without something giving you hope day after day after day after day. You have to have it. If it, it it's, like, it's like if the bucket has a hole in the bottom, something's going to have to be, there's going to have to be a spigot at the top refilling it. Uh, right. and, and, and that's a reality. And look, one thing that, um, and this would be a question, I'm a little older than you that I can ask you. One thing that I can tell you is very strange to me, the amount of cynicism that is in our world now because it was not that way. I mean, if I, I can remember from the 80s, both in terms of the music, but in terms of the movies that were being made. I mean, the other day I was, um, I was listening uh, to uh, a podcast where they were talking about uh, Rocky. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they were talking about how so when Sylvester Stallone was interviewed, he said, look, I just wanted to make a movie where you knew who the good guy was and that he struggled, but he went, you know what? I'm not going to give up. Yeah, and he said that's what that's what Rocky is. It's not a complicated idea, but it's a guy who he, every time he gets knocked down, he gets back up yeah. because he has inner fortitude. And it's just like, oh well, yeah, that's you watch that and you kind of go, I love it. I want him to get back up. Yeah, I, I I need somebody to have a strong will around here and to go. You know what? Horrible things happen. Everything doesn't go your way, but you've got to be strong and consistent have endurance and perseverance because bad things are going to literally knock you to your knees and you've got to get back up yeah it is easy to stay down there mm-hmm. but something in you has to tell you to get back up and you got to listen to that voice but meanwhile where we are now is increasingly i keep seeing more and more cynicism more and more of a jaded attitude that probably nobody's worth giving your time to that they'll all betray you and that that there, I mean, it's called despair and lack of hope. There's no reason to believe things will get any better. Mm-hmm. And I see that more and more. And it's strange for me because I can tell you this. If you didn't grow up as I did uh, in particular, though, um, it's, it's almost like if you uh, 
listen to sort of like uh, the grunge music of the 90s, you would think like, oh, everything was without hope. Like, no, like there's a lot of upbeat stuff happening. But, you know, look, uh, Nirvana and yes, there is plenty of despair happening there. But it was, frankly, I look back on it now and I go, we didn't exactly know what that was because it was different. But you can look at it now and go, wow, that was in a lot of ways, the beginning of just utter despair. Yeah. And, um, and we have continued to build on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, like, on the one hand, like, m- the market of despair, and on the other hand, just this market of meaninglessness. So sort of bubblegum pop that just completely has nothing to say whatsoever. Yeah. And these are the, this is kind of where we're living now. Um, but man, it, it wasn't all that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's what I see in a lot of ways now. So would you say that, uh, does it feel to you, do you, do you see the cynicism continue to rise and go like, I remember better than this? Or does this feel like sort of the pop culture and the, uh, the stuff that you've always had? Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to say. I do think, I mean, certainly we, we have come out of the age of best I can, I can understand it. Like the baby boomer age where optimism was in, right? Um, I I think of of it in sort of in terms of like, uh, eschatology. So like (laughs) we're coming out of a season where like post-millennialism, which is a very optimistic, you know, view of the end times was like, it was really popular back. I don't know, like 50, 60 years ago, maybe, maybe more. Um, that's like out now, right? Uh, by and large, it's not completely, but uh, um, and other other kind of perspectives of, of eschatology have become more popular even in the church. Um, but I do think that that cynicism is high; it is on the rise, and I think that's a part of why this. There's no data I have to support this. Okay, okay. this is just kind of my observation. Um, a movie like Top Gun, yeah will do so well at the box office because the movie Top Gun is is what people want. It is a movie of optimism. It is yeah. a movie of good guys winning, bad guys losing, right. of resilience. Um, but, you know, even you go back to like the, the Marvel movies. I mean, right. a part of why the Marvel movies, now nah, I think we're seeing a decline in the quality maybe, if you ask my opinion, but I don't think it's completely gone. But I think, you know, starting with like uh, Iron Man, Captain America, especially the first Avenger, you see sort of the popularity that grew in these movies culminating in, in like the, the finales of uh, Avengers uh, infinity war in game. And you see like w- one of the, one of the hallmarks of these movies, what makes them so great is the resilience. It's the, it's the captain America getting beat down and getting back up and yep. saying, I could do this all day. Yep. Like those movies I think are resonating are hitting hard because they're fewer and fewer and fewer the same way. You know, things are valuable because of scarcity, um, because people are, are making less and less of those movies, more movies dealing in a more cynical way, in a more sure. meaningless way. You see, which are which some of those are, are still popular, but oh, man, for me, I'd much rather go watch a movie. And I know superheroes are a dime a dozen. This is sort of not uh, what a lot of people are saying now, but I like superhero movies because I like to see the optimism. I like to see right. evil losing and uh, good prevailing. Right. Even against all odds, like I want that story, right? Know? And I, I was gonna bring up superhero movies as sort of a bright spot, but I will still uh, point to the fact that one of the big differences from, say, the movies of the '80s versus superhero movies is, in the '80s, a lot of times it's a regular guy who just looks at a situation and goes, "You know what? We'll see what we can do with this situation." Mm-hmm. 
uh, superhero movies, well, they're able to do the things they can because they are a unique, uniquely powerful kind of person. Mm-hmm. And that they leave you as a regular individual going, well, but what can I do given uh, my world as I live? Yes. You, you see, I have something to say here <laughs> because uh, I agree with you, but I, I think of someone like uh, Clint Barton. So he's Hawkeye right. in the Marvel movies. He is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel movies for, for a few different reasons. Um, for one, he is part of it. He is that picture of optimism. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't have... Now, I, I, I have to interrupt you and say that he's really, really good at shooting a bow and arrow. <laughs> sure, sure, but it's practice, right? It's all practice. None of that is supernatural. I don't know, maybe it is. They never heard that explanation. But uh, um, in the movies, at least, the best we now, can and, see... And even a, in the comics, he's a, he is just an unbelievably skilled archer. Yeah, yeah very, very skilled at his, at his craft. Um, but he's also extremely optimistic. He is... Um, one of the coolest things about it, he's one of the rare instances that we get in movies in general nowadays of a solid father figure. Yeah, I mean, sure. this guy has a has a wife and, and kids that he loves and cares for, and you see a, a masculine uh, father figure who is morally upright and yet who cares and, and is going to, whatever the odds, is going to stand up in the face of evil. And he does over and over again. Yeah. What, what part of what makes that so cool? He is a relatively normal guy. Right. Fighting against demigods, yes. right? Yes. You know, um, who could snap him in half, seemingly. Yep. And, you know, you ain't, can't ask too many questions as to how he can stand up against them and not be killed. You just accept it there and say, yeah. hey, this is cool. This is optimism. Like, this is a guy yeah. who's not backing down. He gives that little speech to, uh, um, in uh, Age of Ultron. I, we, we're talking enough about Marvel movies. Yeah, but, I know. But, I got one more comment about uh, this that I can transition yeah. this away. But He gives that little speech to that guy, and he's like, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense sometimes. I'm, you know, fighting robots with a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. But look, I'm going to do it because it's what's right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, all right. Close us out of the Marvel stuff. Well, and I, uh, one other sort of part inside of us, like why can this sort of kind of throw us off? Uh, one, one thing that we say and one thing that we think that I just want to question is I, we'll say like, well, that's cheesy. That's cheesy. I'm, I'm wondering what we're pointing at there because sometimes I think we say that because we're jaded. Yeah. Uh, you know, like for instance, I, I want to bring us back to songs for a minute. Like when's the last time you heard a song that sounded like, uh, I'm walking on sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> that is just like a, look, this song starts out happy and it gets happier and then it ends and it just goes, you know what? You go on, have a good day. Yeah. We don't hear those. And I think in part because the people who might write those songs are going, I don't know. That doesn't really fit. It's kind of cheesy. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm concerned that we may have uh, lost our sense for optimism. Yeah. Uh, when you've got to have it to a degree, optimism is not... I'm going to call bad things good. Mm-hmm. No, optimism is going, well, certain things are worth fighting for. Yeah. And whatever strength I've got, I'll de- dedicate it to doing what I can do. Yeah. Uh, you have to believe that there's a chance you can win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's what I'm concerned that we're losing. Now, to bring this back to Christianity, what he says and what I, I think is helpful is that um, we come nearer to dualism in Christianity than we might like to admit, because sort of the vibe in the church is kind of bubblegum optimism sometimes. Sometimes. Well, you know, what's what's there to be sad about? God's out there working. Put a, put a smile on your face. Yeah. Well, Apple red happiness. Remember that song? 
Red happiness, popcorn cheerfulness, cinnamon singing oh, inside. Oh, you Pe- yes. Peppermint energy, gumdrop holidays. When you give Christ your life, uh-huh, I and I um, hate that song. And, and, yes, and uh, having not grown up in the church, I've heard that, and I kind of when somebody told me about that song, I was like, "Say again? This is not." <laughs> no, that's cheesy. Yeah, and it, it because it is overdone. Yeah. Uh, it, it is not apple red happiness that we, you know, it's not deeper. It's deeper. Yeah, that's uh, right. It, it is not the surfacey. We we don't. It, it is not just Christian to to say, well, we'll put a smile on that cancer. <laughs> oh no! Right, like that's not that's not what we do. Uh, I hear you say that. It makes me want to punch you. <laughs> right, right, and it should. Again, that that's the meaning in you that reaches out and says yeah. well, that doesn't that doesn't fit. Yeah. Uh, and so that's not the answer. But here is the way C.S. Lewis phrases it. He says, "Quote." Uh, if the world is, as the Bible says, it is a horrible place because it is rebellious from its purpose. It's only reason for creation. Yes. And everything is broken. We do say that. Well, that means, what, is, what a frightening and awful thought to have to come to grips with. Everything in me is broken. Everything in you is broken. Everything in the world. There's so many broken relationships. Things don't naturally mend themselves. It takes a long time to build something that works. Mm-hmm. It does, but we do, we do work, and some of that work does last, so that we should not expect things to be easy, but we should expect that progress can be made Mm -hmm. with the help of the Holy Spirit and under the direction of God, but not that it should all just kind of fall into place, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't. Yeah, we so we come close to dualism in a way in which, in which we see the world in the world around us. We see good and we see evil, and we see that there is a war, right? Uh, but what, what he points out, and that the distinction between uh, part of what recognizes the distinction between Christianity and dualism, is that we say, but there is something else. There is a standard, and we yeah. keep coming back to this, but it's important. There is a standard along with these two powers that says this is what is right, yeah. and. That can only exist because there is a God, and there is a God who is good. Right. And he, he makes the point when he talks about good and evil is that the dualist perspective says there is good and there is evil, and they both exist independently of each other and war with each other and are, and are kind of equal powers with each other, but, right. but in a sense exist individually. Uh, but he says that's actually not the case. Uh, rather, C.S. Lewis makes the point, badness doesn't exist on its own, yep. uh, independent of the good. We only know something to be bad because we know what is good, because we yep. know what is right. We only know what a crooked line is yep. because we can compare it to a straight line. We know we know what a straight line is. And and this is the point he makes. It's like he says evil is a parasite, not an original thing. Mm-hmm. And even when we when we see evil in the world, um, we see that it is a perversion, it is a corruption of goodness, because mm-hmm. so often that is what motivates the evil. So when someone um, engages in, in sexual immorality, well, why are they doing that? Oftentimes it is stemming from some sort of desire for pleasure. Well, pleasure is a good. Pleasure right. is a good thing. Right. But it is the distortion of that good thing to which evil comes about, bad comes about. Right. And so this is true of all evil we see in the world around us. That it is not, it does not exist on its own, independent of, of good, but rather it is a parasite. I heard it said one one way um, that evil, uh, or or sin, we might say, is like rot on a tree. Yeah, it is exists. We can point to it and say, what is that? Well, that is rot on that tree. But if there were no tree that existed, there would be no rot. Right. Rot can only exist 
on a tree, right? Uh, it can only exist on that which is good. Evil is that way. Badness is that way. It is a parasite. It is rot on a good tree. It is a perversion of what is good. That That's different from the dualist perspective that says these are two independent equal powers right. uh, waging war uh, with one another. Um, and that's the point that C.S. Lewis is making. Is that, well, no, that's, that's not really the way it is. Rather, um, bad exists as a parasite to the good. Right. Right, and I, I appreciated this as, as well, one of the statements he says in here. He says, this is the strength of Christianity. It's just turned enough that it seems to make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, reality is strange. If there's one thing that you could summarize me being a kid, I just found reality really strange. <laughs> uh, I mean, and, and if you can't remember what... Look, the, the, the earth just keeps revolving around the sun. It's like, okay, is it getting closer or farther? No, just kind of going around in a circle. It's weird. <laughs> and that's what, everything that I experience, you know, it's not like I throw a ball and it just kind of starts going in a circle forever. That's weird. Well, I don't understand it. That's it's just really weird to me yeah. that that's the way things are. I remember when I was a kid and somebody told me this is how babies come about. I was like, that is where everybody comes from? No. That can't be right. That's weird. That can't and be he right. references that in here and I'm like, yes, that's weird. That's just weird. A lot, so many things are weird. Yeah. And I mean, in part, this is the comedian's impulse. Yeah. Like noses are weird. The fact that we all have this thing on, on the front of our face, which is where we're all looking all the time, that just like, hey, it might have a booger coming out of it. It might just, it, they typically are putting out liquid that we, is gross. It's like, yep, that, every face comes equipped with one of those things. Did you just say booger on I the I sure did. Oh, Probably goodness. the first time. Yeah. Uh, that's weird. I mean, it is weird. And this is where you have to get to, uh, to, to see where he's operating. It's like, look, reality is weird. Yeah. But we get used to it. But it, on its face, it is strange. Yeah, you're a much deeper thinker, thinker than me. I was told, oh, yeah, the Earth is a big ball, orbits around the sun, just goes in a circle, circle. And I said, okay, <laughs> whatever you say. It never never once struck me as weird. But you, I, see you what should, you're, I see what you're, you're right. Now when I'm saying it, doesn't yeah. it strike you yeah. as weird? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I heard someone Kind of weird. No, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's weird. <laughs> and, the, and the sun is this ball of absolutely magma molten fire. Yeah. Okay, when does that fire burn down? Never. Never. Keeps on nuclear yeah. exploding over and over again and doesn't get consumed. It just yeah. keeps on going. That's pretty cool. That's it's pretty, it's weird. Like it's how? Cool. Yeah. That's not like any fire I've ever dealt with. They yeah. usually, you start them and they quit. Yeah. I heard someone say recently, uh, you know what? what's strange about life uh, is that in order to fall asleep, you have to pretend like you're asleep. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, sleep is think like about that. one of the weirdest things that you yeah, can like, talk about. If you want to fall asleep, lay down, do what you would do if you were sleeping. So lay down, close your eyes, be very still, and then eventually you will just be asleep. Right. What? <laughs> you have right. to pretend like you're doing it in order to do it. I think that's funny. Well, but uh, the other weird thing, I mean, like you can, uh, you can really try to make yourself fall asleep and that's one of the surest ways to not fall asleep. You kind of got to, you oh, kind of got to get in the position and then not focus too much on it happening. And yeah. then it just seems to happen. Uh, so yes, there's a lot of things like I, I could bring up a whole lot of things and say yeah. they were really weird. But a part of this too, is you grew up with plenty of brothers and sisters and I grew up by myself just sitting around my own thinking <laughs> <laughs> that's a dangerous place. To it be certainly there. was. Man, Praise God. He saved you out of that. <laughs> um, 
just a couple more quotes, and I have a feeling we'll probably do chapter three and call it for today. But yeah. he says, uh, quote, the shocking thing about reading the Bible is how close to dualism we get from the roots of God's creation. We are now in enemy-occupied territory. Every day is an all-out onslaught from the world, and we are right in the middle of it. Yes. The devil is real and aims to destroy every single person I know, plain and simple, and church is a transmission from our friends at home base. No wonder everything prevents us from getting there. It is the one place we can get our bearings to hear the truth, end quote. Mm-hmm. I love this. It, this He kind of has this whole section on this. The, it, part of the difference between dualism and Christianity, it's not a denial of a, of a battle between good and evil, but it is a, it is a re-description of what that battle is. It's not just like two equal powers going to war with each other. It is, as C.S. Lewis describes it, it is a civil war. It is a rebellion yeah. that has taken place. Right. He says, uh, he says in the book. I think, or excuse me, he says, but it, it does not. Excuse me, but it does not think this war is is between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Yeah. And when he says it, he means Christianity and the Bible. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and the Bible. Um, yeah, he, he says we are living in the part of the universe occupied by the rebel. That yeah. is where we are at. We yeah, are yeah. here living on this earth. We are living in enemy territory, he says, um, as you just said as well. Um, and we need to recognize it as such. He is not proposing that we deny that there is a right. a struggle between good and evil, uh, but it is a recognition of, of what that struggle, a, a proper characteristic or characterization of that struggle, that mm-hmm. there, there was good, Long before there was evil, right. and evil sprang up out of the good as a corruption, as a rebellion yeah. of yeah. that which is good, and that's where we now live. And he he does he gives sort of uh, that recognizes that the enemy is the devil. And in the book, he, he kind of says, you know, some of you might find this to be foolish or silly that I'm now bringing the devil into this. He says, uh, I just think this is a funny quote. He says. Uh, do you really mean at this time to reintroduce your old friend, the devil, hooves and horns and all? That's what people would say to him. He says, uh, well, at this time of day, uh, or what, what time of day has nothing to do with it? And I am not particular about the hooves and the horns, but in other respects, my answer is yes, I do. He said, I do not claim to know anything about his personal appearance. And then check this out. I thought this was a savage answer. He says, if anyone really wants to know him better, mm-hmm. I would say to that person, don't worry. If you really want to, you will. Whether you will like it when you do is another question. Yeah. Like, ooh, savage. <laughs> like he, it's savage, but it's true. He's saying, hey, look, you do not really want to get to know the devil. That is not something that you should desire. And people who do desire to, uh, well, they will get their wish granted, um, and they're not. They are definitely not going to like it when they do. But this, this sort of living in enemy occupied territory reminds me of of another book that he wrote, which kind of. Um, is built out of this idea, I think, uh, and that being the screw tape letters. Uh, the, the premise of, as you know, Jackson, but the premise of the book being that it is a sort of older, wiser demon writing to yeah. a sort of understudy, if you will, or uh, a nephew, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at tr- Kind of instructing him, training him on how best to deal with his patient that is uh, a human being and how to keep him from... Mm-hmm. Uh, from Christ and and if he is a Christian how to sort of make him stumble along the way and and it sort of perpetuates this I, this idea sort of flushes out this idea that we live in enemy territory right. and and that is an important thing for us to realize that yeah. that is a that is a part of why we see the battle between good and evil we are in 
enemy territory. Right. But this is such a powerful chapter because what you can take away from this chapter is what if good is as real as the table you're sitting at or the car you're driving? And what if evil is derivative of it? But what if every part of this universe is now infected with this evil so that we are complicit so that we are incentivized to not admit the evil that we might be taking part in uh, if there's a real good what if we could get a hold of it what if there's a real evil and it's already got a hold of us mm-hmm wouldn't you want to do something about that? Doesn't that tell you that if there's a real good, you ought to get after it. You ought mm-hmm. to give anything to get a hold of it and to get away from the evil that's got a hold of you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I think he's pressing towards in this chapter. And I think it's one of the most powerful chapters in the entire book to say, look, whatever road you think we're going on from here, this is an unbelievably important question. If there's real good, you ought to get a hold of it. And if there's real evil, you've got to get away from it. Yeah. And you don't you already believe that yeah. that there is real good and that there's real evil? Uh, yes, I mean, I, I, if you don't examine that further, why don't you? If there is a, enough going on inside of you to say, well, yeah, I, I, I de facto believe there's real good, yeah, and that there's real evil, yeah. And it, and if you ever come across someone who says they don't believe in in good or evil, uh, what what is it that R.C. Sproul said one time? Someone asked him the question like, how can I? Uh, uh, demonstrate that sin exists or that evil exists to my friend who says they don't believe that there is is good and evil. And R.C. Sproul, without batting an eye, goes, steal his wallet. Yeah. <laughs> he will very quickly identify that as evil. He will very quickly come wrong. to believe in the moral law. That's right. Yeah, he will. He right. will. Because no, even people who deny that there is such an existence of good and evil, they can only deny it in word only. It right. doesn't take very long at all to for, to do something or say something and, and you can get them to say, well, that, that would be wrong. Oh, oh what do you mean by right. wrong? Yeah. And so that's, that's a good point. Well, let's, let's talk yeah, a little let's... bit about chapter three yep. um, here in book two, and then we'll, we'll call it. But uh, he titles chapter three, the shocking alternative. And I'll be honest with you. He had an interesting, um, interesting like discussion on free will mm-hmm. uh, in this, uh, in this chapter. He talks about the connection between free will and God's authority. Because in the chapter, kind of as he starts it off, one of the one of the uh, sort of dilemmas, I guess, is um, whether or not the the state of affairs that we see is God's will or not, mm-hmm. uh, and how do we sort of reconcile God being in authority and yet things happening that are um, evil if yeah. that is not a part of His will. Um, sort of an interesting discussion on on free will and yeah. and why human beings are not what was the word automatons? Um, yeah, automatons. Right? Yeah, yeah, atom, automatons, <laughs> um, and that we are endowed with a sort of free will. And I, I I think this is an interesting section in the book, but I'm also like it makes me want to talk more about free will. And I don't know if everything he says about it, I'm like 100 percent like. Either that makes sense to me or I disagree with that. What are your thoughts on free will, Jackson? So he's having a different discussion than what you're probably thinking about, which is Luther's discussion on uh, how can we be saved and are we making the decision. This is more about are the decisions that you make 
every day, real or not. Yeah. Is God allowing you and is God allowing the devil and demons to do things which affect reality? Mm -hmm. And his answer is yes. Yes. He says, look, the the decisions and and, uh, no matter where anybody might stand on angels and demons, uh, you have to answer, have a, you need to have an answer to the question, do the decisions that I see people making on a daily basis affect reality. Mm-hmm. Does the good that I choose matter? Yes. And does the evil that I choose matter? And am I responsible for that or is God responsible for that? Yeah. I, I, no, I think I, I think I do get that, that that is kind of what he's talking about. And I would, there are some people that I think, especially in certain sort of Calvinistic camps that will deny free will. Yeah, yeah. They'll just point back and say, well, human beings don't have a free will. I think that's a foolish way to, um, well, I think it's, it's, not what we see in, in evidence in the world around us. That I can make a decision right now and it's going to have an impact on reality. And right. I was I was in in at least a very real sense unrestrained mm-hmm. uh, in in making that decision. Now, uh, when it comes to other things, we can talk about what restrains our will, what what motivates us. But for this discussion, the point is just what we do has consequences in this world and how that relates to God's will or His sovereignty. He doesn't use the words of God's right. sovereignty. He says right. He says authority. Um, but I think it relates, uh, but it's a very difficult thing that he is seeking to undertake here, which is to sort of, I think he does a, a pretty good job of it, but it is to sort of speak to the dynamic between God having authority, uh, and things being opposed to his will. And, yeah. and if I remember the way he relates it is to like a, a, a mother or a parent, they can have, uh, authority over these children and have a will and their will is that they would, um, tidy up the, the, the bedroom or this room or whatever. Um, but it could be, you know, even though this is my will, I want you to tidy this up. I'm not going to come up here and, you know, take right. the whip to you and make you clean it up. Right. Uh, it's, it's up to you to clean it up. Well, then the, the mom could come back to that room next week and it be in complete disarray. Well, it's in complete disarray according to the mom's will uh, because she allowed them to choose right. whether or not to do it. And yet outside of her will and that she would – will that it be <laughs> cleaned up she would desire she would yeah. have it to be cleaned up and so it it is in a in, a, in one sense within her will but also opposed to her will yep. uh, as as a mother and and you can apply this example in various right. ways as well but that's kind of what he he gets at which i think is a helpful way of of sort of trying to answer this question that people have been asking for a long time of how does uh, does human freedom and decision making impact the world if God has authority and is sovereign over all things? Right. Because the answer is it does. Yeah. You know, it does. But I think the the ultimate answer is it does. But all of that within God's sovereignty. Like we have a free will, but even within our free will, the decisions we make, the choices we make, all of that is ordained by God. We don't understand how the two can be true at the same time. How we can have a a truly free will and we can have responsibility for the decisions we make, the choices we make and how God can be sovereign over them to the point that um, not only is he just like, no, we're going to do them. Uh, but it is orchestrated according to a plan that he has made eternity past that we would make that decision. Um, I think it's a difficult question to answer and he doesn't get all the way into the nitty gritty of it, yeah. which is good for a book like this. Yeah. Uh, and what's, but. what's curious about it is uh, in talking about this a lot with different people, what I find so strange is uh, whether it's because different people's minds work differently, people feel comfortable putting mystery in different places mm-hmm. because even in the way you're describing it, my mind reacts very strongly to go, 
you seem really comfortable with God ordained this decision. And so I either will help this homeless person or I won't. And God ordained it either way. And I'm like, wait, but I don't think I, I can't put mystery there because that is such at the point of action that it makes me too comfortable to just kind of go, oh, well, whatever happens, you know, and, and, and I don't even know if that's what you're exactly saying. No. <laughs> um, but I, I do find about this, like, look, you're going to have to put mystery somewhere because yeah. yes, God has overarching sovereignty to do as he wishes. But I do in exactly almost the paradigm you just described, think that what he does is to go, look, I'm not going to be the kind of father who like is walking around holding your wrist every day going, I do the things. And then I say to you, look, you did the thing. It's like, no, if he did it, then he did it. And if I did it, then yes, he is driving me, but I'm still able to make decisions for not only in the positive and the negative, but the degree of positive. How far do I go? Uh, and this is, we live in this tension of, look, you yeah. can't do all the things that you think of as good every day. You have to pick what you can do. You're finite. And so um, that is a question. But I do think he points to uh, what is a reasonable statement, which is, a, your decisions do matter. Mm -hmm. And you need to know that what you do makes a difference, both in terms of uh, good or evil and in terms of the degree. And so you should ask for the wisdom to do what you can do because it matters. And, and I think that that's borne out in the scriptures, that it's the only reasonable way to live. I think it is the path to determinism to say, well, whatever I did, it's on God, not on me. Well, that's right. not, that's, uh, right. that, that is loss. That is losing. Which, yeah, which to be clear is not at all what I'm saying. <laughs> and in fact, I would, I would argue a sort of, if you're familiar with the, uh, the concept of first and second causes, yeah. um, I think that is a helpful way of viewing it, uh, uh, to say that God being sovereign over all, um, even, you know, we were in like Acts chapter two, I think verse 23, um, somewhere in there where he says, as Peter is speaking at Pentecost, uh, and he is talking about Christ being, uh, being crucified, he said, is it was according, and he's talking about the evil act of, of mm -hmm. God's being crucified. It was according to the definite plan yeah. and foreknowledge of God. And yet, what he says right after that, uh, he accuses these men and, and yes. condemns them as guilty for this act. So to say that God not only knew it was going to happen, right. but has sovereignly um, ordained that it be a part of his predetermined plan, right? Uh, does not mean responsibility is removed sure. from you. Sure. Uh, so in no way is responsibility ever removed. We are responsible for our actions. We are called to do what is right. Um, but even, and I think this is a hopeful way to view it, that even when evil does happen, it is not separated from God's eternal plan for all things, yeah. right? Now, how that, this is right. where I am comfortable with the mystery, as comfortable as you can be, to say, now, how does that work? I don't know. How is it that, that man can be responsible for these actions, but they are also a part of God's um, definite plan? Uh, I don't know, but I yeah. know that it is. Yeah, know? and then and that would be a point to where I say, oh, that's about the limit that we can do, because you're not, we, yeah. we are nowhere told to go ahead and say, well, God knows I'm only capable of so much, and so I should just let myself off the hook as far as like, right. I'm tired today. I can't be doing, you know, I can't be right. pushing myself for this or that. It's like, no, I mean, the scriptures are pretty clear. Yeah. Push yourself to do the good that exactly. you can do. Exactly. Because the day is short. The time is, I mean, throughout the New Testament, the times are short. Do what you can do. While, while there's light, work. You're still going to give an account. darkness is coming. Yes. Yeah. And that is, like, we live in that tension. Yeah. If somebody's looking for some sort of, 
well, give me some kind of cookie cutter explanation of how I can know uh, when I've done enough. It's like, well, one, it's not on you. Yeah. But two, do what you can do. That's right. Uh, that's pretty much the directives that we're given. Yeah. And you go, wow, that sounds pretty stressful. Well, yeah, you, we, we are supposed to live in that to yeah. go. I, I, it's not I did my one good deed per day and I kind of go, whew, tired. And I also I'm feeling a little crabby now. Like it's about all I got for today. <laughs> you know, like it's not like that. Uh, right. and, and, and that's what uh, is challenging about these discussions. But um, it, it's like there are depths that we can't quite get to, but there are, there are basics that we have to talk about. Yeah. Because I do think that it is basically, you have to say, no, no, no decisions that you make matter. Yeah. They do. hundred uh, percent. If, if, if you don't believe that they do, it's a real problem. Mm-hmm. I, I would have a hard time getting myself out of bed in the morning because it's like, look, if, if I can't make any difference, then man, I can tell you some really easy ways to just chill out. Yeah. I'm good at chilling out. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the call. Right. That's exactly right. And that's a, you know, you talked about the person who says, um, I'm really stressed out because have, have I done enough right. good or, you know, how much, how much do, do I need to do this right. or that? Well, that's where the gospel comes in to say, right. okay, the good has already been done. That's the, right. The main good that's has already right. been done. With regards to your salvation, if you are in Christ Jesus, trusting in him by faith, yep. repenting of your sin, yep. which all this we're going to talk about. I mean, I wish we could get all the way to chapter five. We're not going to get there. Uh, if that is true of you, that you're trusting in Christ Jesus and repenting of your sin, yep. It is finished. That's what he says on the cross. And what he means by that is that there is no more requirement of you for salvation. It has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. His perfect righteousness is now counted to you, as Paul says in the book of Romans. So that when the Lord looks at you, you he has not not looking at you saying, have they done enough? Well, there was more good they could have done today. Oops, uh, missed that. Well, that'll cost again. No, he is looking at you as he looks at his son perfectly. Yep righteous. Yep. That's the good news of the gospel. And so if, if you are one who says, well, you know, if I, if I am called to do good and, and you know, this is what is expected of me, certainly as a believer, how will I ever know if I've done enough? Well, look, depends on what you mean by enough. Right. Because, because you know? when you flip the coin and you go, okay, then knowing your status is secure out of gratitude, love people and do yeah. what you can do. Okay. And, and what, well, it's all, it's all in the, uh, the positive at that yeah. side. Because it's just like, how, how, how much love have you been given by God? Well, infinite. Well, then you got some extra to give. Yeah. So go and do it. It's freeing. Give, it's freeing. Right. To, and, to and, and that's how it, and, 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 and that's helpful because that is, that is good theology, which you just gave, yeah. which is to say, stop trying to prove yourself, but know that you've been accepted completely without strings in Christ. Turn away from that death that you used to love mm-hmm. and Enjoy your life with him. And along the way, say to others, let me help you take that burden off of your back because you are living with this self-justification and what a horrible burden to walk around. I had a proof that I'm a good person. I'm a better person than these other people. It's like, well, good luck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of like, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. And a lot of people were frankly more talented than you are. And you are... I don't know. I mean, it's uh, in a lot of ways, it's a burden to be given a lot of talent because then you're going to be better at trying to prove yourself. Like, yep. no, let it go. Yep, let it that's go. exactly right. So a few quotes from this chapter that really put a point on this. He says, quote, the sin we know Satan got into because he taught it to humanity was about wanting to be God. Mm-hmm. Anytime there is a self, there is a possibility of putting self first. Thus, the idea of choosing one's own destiny, being like God and all the rest, end mm-hmm. quote. And so building on that idea, um, 
Man, what a, what a powerful quote. He says, we see from this a whole sad history of humanity looking for something other than God that will make him happy. Sex, greed, materialism, war, classes, empires, slavery, and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it is absolutely true. He says that the moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first, wanting to be the center, wanting to be God, in fact. I mean, this is what we do as, as human beings, mm-hmm. uh, is that we desire to be God. And then uh, the, what he kind of is getting at here, uh, to be happy and the desire to be happy is sought by the world in all kinds of places, in, in money. Um, so for some, it's to be found in poverty, uh, ambition, war, like you said, all these things. Um, but seeking for happiness in those places will always and inevitably leave you empty. Yep. It, it is not going to, to satisfy. Uh, and, and the reason why it's never going to satisfy you is because God didn't make us to be satisfied by those things. Yep. Uh, he, he compares us to the way an engine is created. Yep. Uh, God created us the way man has created an engine. Uh, and that engine will run and will run properly, uh, but only if it's given the proper fuel. Yep. Uh, and to try and find joy, satisfaction, happiness in in things of this world is like trying to put uh, something, if, literally anything other than gasoline, mm-hmm. uh, what he calls petrol, uh, into an engine. Mm-hmm. It won't work. It won't run. It won't function properly. You'll never find joy, satisfaction in those yep. things. It's only going to be found from the one who created us. Why? Because he knows what we need to be mm-hmm. satisfied. And so to look outside of, of him is to be left wanting. Right. Certainly Because not. What, we, what he says we need to be satisfied is God himself. That's right. Uh, that's what we were made to run on. Uh, and, and, and what a, what a shocking uh, place to land here because it's like, wait, wait, wait. So pretty much everyone that I know has put a piece of paper on their wall that says happiness and they've been trying to throw darts at it every day to whatever, uh, to whatever effect. Some days winning, some days losing. And he says, yeah, that's the wrong paper. He says, you ought to be asking about purpose because he says, you're not living for your purpose, which means you don't have fulfillment. Happiness is like a subcategory of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And what you really want is fulfillment. Happiness is this thing that happens when, you know, things kind of go your way. Mm-hmm. And it's been overall like sort of a more up day than a down day, but there's something deeper. Yeah. But since you sort of wrote that out uh, at the beginning, like, well, I guess if there's no purpose and there's no meaning, well, but what if there is? Yeah. Because that's what you're actually after. Yeah. You were made for something. I mean, and what he says is you were made to love him and to love other people. Yeah. Uh, but if you then say, well, I'm sorry, there is no him and I'm not even sure there's other people. Well, that's going to be pretty disconcerting. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and this is his explanation. He says, uh, try to put orange juice in your car and see if that works. That's about what you're doing. Yep. That's right. But here is what, and I think why he titles the, uh, um, why he titles this chapter, what he does, he calls it the shocking alternatives because he says, we see that those things aren't, aren't going to satisfy. They aren't going to please. Um, they are going to bring purpose, uh, all this stuff. The shock comes when we realize exactly how it is that it comes, how it is that new life comes. And he says, this is the point you were making earlier. He says new life, uh, comes in a very similar way that, uh, that old life, the old life came. Um, he says this in a later chapter. I'm jumping ahead. We won't get to that yet. That's for <laughs> next week. But he talks about 
Christ. And he, he points to that the shocking alternative being uh, the incarnation, that yeah. Christ came as a man. He came uh, being both God and man in order to to remedy our, our situation. And this is, um, I think this is the, uh, the chapter where um, he gets kind of one of the m- more famous quotes uh, where he talks about, uh, yeah, the, the quote about someone who, who says that Christ is a, came as a great and was a great moral yeah, sure. teacher. Uh, well, if you don't accept that he was God, then you can't accept that he was a great moral, moral teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the claims that he was making were either true, and he was God, or they were crazy, right? Or, or he was just a big liar. But right. either way, he can't, couldn't have been a great moral teacher uh, unless he was God. But uh, what I found, you know, I've heard that quote over and over again. He says, if he wasn't God, then a man saying these things would be on the same level as a, as a poached egg, I think is what he calls him, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of a, of a, of a fool. But um, he talks about what's, a, what's so amazing is that when Christ came, he claimed one of the most sort of wild claims that he made was the claim to be able to forgive sins. He sure. says, um, but what, what should we make of a man? This is this is a quote from, from the book. What should we make of a man himself, unrobbed, untrodden on, who announced that he forgave you for treading on another man's toes and stealing another man's money? Mm. Asinine fatuity uh, is the kindest description we should give to his conduct. Yet, this is what Jesus did. And he goes on to say, he unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned, the person chiefly offended in all offenses. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. And this is who Jesus was, right? He was God. He is the one chiefly offended when you offend another person. Uh, While it is good to apologize to those who we have wronged, we have sinned against, absolutely it is. Uh, the chief issue with our sin is that we have sinned against a holy God. Uh, that's the point David makes in the psalm when he says, against you alone have I sinned, O Lord. Uh, that's not to say he didn't wrong uh, Bathsheba or Uriah. He obviously did. Uh, but the issue with sin chiefly is that we have sinned against a holy God. Christ came to be that remedy that we need uh, to to provide for us the fuel that will uh, make us whole as human beings. It's to be found only in him. And he, he came as God. And this is the, the claim that C.S. Lewis just hammers home and does so by by making that quote that he makes later. But this is good news, that, that yep. Christ entered the world. He is the the shocking alternative mm-hmm. um, that that has entered into the world uh, to, to save us from our sin, to, to make right what has gone awry. Uh, honestly, uh, and ultimately to put an end to the civil war that we that we see taking place around us. Right. But for now we fight. Uh, and we fight. that is that is where we live. And so um, this is orientation. It, it is it is so helpful to me because this explains the good and evil that you see every day in your world. That when you wake up in the morning, good and evil have already been happening. But you are not powerless. You can recognize what is good and what is evil and you can do your part. Mm-hmm. And honestly, uh, to me, that that enlivens my heart so much to go, look, I can't do it all. But but to take the next step and to say, but wow, I can be a part of a people who, using their various gifts that they've been given by God, are fighting the good fight every day. And I go, well, I can certainly do my part. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that, uh, that's a game changer. Yeah. And that's, that is a longing of my heart that is deep, that precedes, that I, I can, I mean, that is a... 
that is something my heart longed for my entire life, that when you see what he's saying here is, what, okay, what if good and evil are really real? But what if rather than some powerless leaf just sort of floating, you can be equipped yeah. to take part what if you already have been taking part, unfortunately, on the evil side? Yeah. But what if you can change sides? Yeah. Well, that's an exciting proposition. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's a true one. Yep. Yep. Praise God. More to come. Do you want, Absolutely. Do you want to hear more? Come back next week. There you go. That's all for today. And so this has been Empires of the Future. We'll see you in the future.